Welcome back to the Rethinking Politics podcast, episode 26. There's been a lot happening, and not in a good way. I mean, I don't know what, what a good way would be. Like, I suppose maybe in this in this business, the best thing that could happen would be to have nothing to talk about. Is that, mm, is that yes, fair to say? Absolutely. Nothing rarely is, is there... the best kind of happening. Right. Rare, um, I mean, I can dream of times when something big happened that was good, but it's just not that common. It's not very often. In general, something's happening. It's bad. And obviously with the, the takeover of the Capitol building, with the... Obviously, with the takeover of the Capitol building, at least one serious bad thing has happened. And then, depending on how you feel about it, the big tech, the kicking of Trump off of social media, and perhaps more importantly, the shutdown of Parler. These things are big news and related to all kinds of big issues like free speech and, and what that means and, and where those lines should be drawn or shouldn't be drawn. Not to mention uh, Trump getting impeached for the second time. Don't forget that, Dan. That's right. That's happening. That's, that's more big news as we're speaking. going on right now. Yep. Right. It'll be old news by the time it's published. But yes, that's breaking. It's funny the way these, uh, these issues around big tech are discussed, right? You've got the, the legal dispute over publisher versus platform that, uh, that different Republicans make. Um, there's questions of defamation and what the laws are and what they should be. There have been significant changes over the course of American history or to what those are, and I'm, I'm not sure they're ideal where they're at, but I'm not sure what the solution is either. It's something that we're, we tend to look into. And of course, you can always try and regulate uh, companies like Facebook. People argue that they're monopolies and scope and whatnot. And um, if some of you may have been aware of when it happened, but Zuckerberg at one point was brought before Congress and asked questions about, about Facebook and about how it should be regulated. And it was... It, it, it was hilarious <laughs> in a very alarming way. Like in the end, through regulatory capture and different things, uh, businesses end up running a lot of the regulations that affect them anyway. And we're going to go into depth in that at, at some point, not this episode, but in a future episode. But it was just funny to see it happening live in a in a session of Congress, where eventually they're they're literally asking him like, "What laws should there be around Facebook?" It's like, oh, let me let me think about it. Let me see if I can be objective on this subject. <laughs> this is this can't have any negative consequences for companies that are not Facebook, right? It's just something else. Yeah, and so there's there's obviously some some very interesting discussions to be had regarding big tech specifically, you know, the regulations, the the argument over free speech and defamation. And those are all good discussions that are worth having. But as we looked at it, we thought about something else that is not being talked about, which we thought we could add to this discussion. And what's not being talked about is uh, is what you can do to get good information. Because clearly we have an, if, an issue in, in, in this modern day information war, if you will, of how to get good information as, as these large companies have even more sway over over what information we get and how we get it, people are starting to ask the question of how do we get good information? As people look back at what happened, you know, just recently, you know, relatively speaking, you know, I mean, it hasn't, hasn't been more than, more than a few days total since the, the Capitol was stormed and already there's so much confusion, 
nationwide about what happened at the Capitol. People are arguing about what happened. I mean, it's what's happened is not clear in most people's mind. I mean, well, I mean, it's clear in most people's mind, <laughs> but it's different. You know, there's it's not alarmingly one, clear. <laughs> there's not one consensus story about what happened about something that there was a large amount of video footage. We should know what happened. There shouldn't be a huge discussion of what happened is what you'd think, right? And so the fact that there is this huge discussion begs the question, how do we as individuals get the right information? Because just getting information isn't enough if the information is wrong. It doesn't help us any. And so so that's what we want to talk about is what we can do to find the right information, to get good information so that we can know what's actually going on so that we can find the truth, so that we can find out what the facts are in any given situation, not just in this one specific instance. Yeah, this is another case where I heard what happened within hours of it happening. And what I heard was not what happened. <laughs> it was what people were claiming happened. And I heard from various sources. And in each case, I don't think what they, what both of those stories said has held up to further scrutiny. And it's, it reminds me of when we were talking about the Kenosha shootings, the, uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse shootings in Kenosha after the, the riots and things there, um, and, and how difficult it was to get, to get the story straightened. And, and that also had additional issues of, you know, of, of what you think of gun rights and self-defense, those kind of issues. This doesn't have quite those same complicated moral issues woven in, but just getting the facts straight is being, is, is really hard. And you have the official positions of the bulk of the, the media for each party. You have the, the stance that, that Democrats by and large took. You have the stance that Republicans took pretty quickly and and both of them are wrong. <laughs> As is often the case with the official stances of the parties. Yes. And, and, you, and you can anticipate that they're likely to be wrong by how fast they came to those conclusions. How many videos had they been able to see? How many people did they know there from those things when they made these conclusions? Well, it doesn't really matter. And they're not going to change their conclusions later. Almost no news group will modify what they said or retract what they said anymore. Here are two very common stories we hear about it that are just not true. One of them coming from the right is that this is actually created by Antifa or BLM, that there were some undercover yeah, protesters the or something. people storming the Capitol were not actually Trump supporters. I mean, what would you call them? Instigators or uh, undercover agents of these other organizations who were there. Those were the people who did it, and it wasn't actually Trump supporters. Of course, the other the other side, you know, on the left, you have have the argument being made that it's that it was Trump supporters and that it was a bunch of neo-Nazi diehard white supremacist Trump supporters who were starting the ones a coup, starting a coup. <laughs> yes, exactly. These these were not just protesters or rioters. These were, in fact, people who were starting a coup and were doing so at the behest of the president. Right. Right. Both of these narratives are wrong. They're wrong. There's no indication if there, if there were, it was someone from Antifa. I've yet to hear a name. Can't hear a single person identified and, and, and demonstrated. I've heard, I've heard rumors of, of one person who might have been. And if it turns out that this one person, it does end up getting confirmed that they were Antifa. That's a far cry from being able to show that this whole thing was done by Antifa. I mean, that's not even close, right? You'd need to be able to show that the 
all of the people who started it or most of the people who started it. Probably even all of them because other people joining in, it just... This is a riot. I agree with you completely, Dan, because because in both cases, you can you can cherry pick one person, one fact and build a narrative from it. You know, and both sides are doing that where they're cherry picking things that Trump has said and done in the past to paint a picture. You know, the left is painting a picture of Trump trying to overthrow the government. And keep himself in power. And the right is trying to paint a different picture. And of course, I'd say the, the right and the left. And we're talking about individual organizations and people on each side of this issue mm-hmm. who are trying to to do that. Obviously, not everyone's trying to do that. And as Dan's saying, that's that's simply the, the facts simply do not justify those narratives. If you look at what journalists actually experienced on the ground, now there were a few of them there near the front when things started to go south. Jeremy Lee Quinn was one of those. You can find him discussing this on the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein, another person who generally leans left. Now, they have every reason to paint this as a white supremacist neo-Nazi coup. He actually followed the, uh, a bunch of the protesters into the Capitol building to film this, as a good journalist should, to try and get as good information as he could. Obviously, he wasn't helping them. And he, uh, and he talks about the kind of people that were there. The people there were not a bunch of white supremacists or neo-Nazis. The things they were talking about were things like, we need to defend the Constitution. He lists a number of things that you'd hear them say as they're, they're in this building. Now, is there probably a neo-Nazi or a white supremacist among them? Yes. He mentions one, that he found one. And it's literally the first one he's found at any Trump rally or any event he's been to, and he's been to many. He wants to know who these people are and what motivates them as someone who wants to actually influence things. Nor did he find any signs of anything resembling Antifa or BLM. And he'd been talking to these people for hours before this event goes down and was in there watching how they acted and what they said and those kind of things. No sign of racism, no sign of Antifa, no sign of any of these things. And his account is not the only one that gives you something firsthand, something that can point to and say, this is what was happening there. The nice thing about Jeremy Lee Quinn is that he's trying to be very neutral. Obviously, he could score a lot of points and probably raise his, you know, his his status by stating these things and trying to confirm these biases that people have going into it. And that's just not what happened there. But the problem is that to find information like this, you have to go looking for it. Because so many of the other things, there's so much information out there. We have a million things we can watch, a million people you can listen to. um, And certainly we're not there. I mean, Brad and I, are not going to be at all these events that we're going to discuss. We're not going to be able to watch them or to have firsthand knowledge of them, which gives us a serious problem, right? gives everybody a problem. If you're not there, how do you know what's happening? As more and more of the major news sources become politically captured, as it were, towards one side or the other, it becomes harder and harder to rely on them. It's less and less often that you you find a reporter, you know, like Jeremy Lee Quinn, whose main goal is just to find out what is going on. You know, even the videos of the of the people who were there, the random citizens, you know, you can watch video after video and and as the person is filming, they're telling you what's going on and what they think is going on and obviously there's always that spin. <laughs> you can yeah. feel it immediately like this is what's this is what they think is happening. So the problem right. is is that we aren't there. We have to rely on someone else to get us the information. We have to rely on someone else to sift through the thousands and thousands of videos and and first-person accounts of what's happened 
to find out what the actual picture is because you can you can look at tiny little glimpses in this instance and you can get part of the story but to get the whole story you're going to need more than a 20 second video you know you can use a 20 second video to portray anything as evidenced by the fact that there are many different narratives of what has happened using cherry-picked videos Right, I can give you one example related to this. I, there's there's videos of of the the security, the the police officers there, or I'm not sure exactly the different groups involved in the security there, backing off and letting the protesters go in, right? letting the rioters uh, charge into the building or climb into the building. And if you saw that and you thought that was what happened all the time, and that that was the first reaction of the police officers in every case, you might assume something conspiratorial here, right? You might be like, wait a second, this is really sketchy. And you would draw all kinds of conclusions from this 20-second video that are not going to be representative of what happened in general. In other places, they were fighting for long periods of time and actually held them back and repelled them several times. You know, another, and, and it's going to be different depending on where it is and how many people and what numbers they were and what assessment the individual people made there. And so you've got to be careful with any one of these extrapolating to the whole and saying this is this explains what happened in any major way. So here we clearly have a problem. The problem is is that we don't have a way to get the information we need. The right information, the accurate information. Instead what we have is the option of of listening to someone else's bias or listening to someone who shares our bias. And the end result is that more often than not we pick someone who already agrees with us. And those are the people we are going to trust and those are the people we're going to listen to because that makes sense. Why wouldn't you listen to the person who agrees with you? And pretty soon you're only going to be getting the information. You're only going to be told the story that you expect to be told. And that's all fine and good, except that now you're cutting out a large amount of information and you may not be getting the correct picture. Because, because as Dan said, in this case, most of the most common narratives that are being told, and there are more than just two, but most of the most common narratives are inaccurate in some way. And often they're inaccurate in very important ways. Right. And so a lot of people are getting a lot of disinformation. Right. And as, as you're saying, like this is, this ties into our last episode too on secession, the, the, the culture war between the two parties. One of the, one reliable thing about human behavior is that if you take 20 people who think something and you spread them out, they, they all believe the same thing, but you spread them out so that they are, uh, a minority or never the majority in any group that they associate in their belief in that thing can be relatively stable. If you take those same 20 people and put them into a room and the people that they associate with most are those other people that believe that thing, it doesn't matter how conspiratorial that thing is. They're going to, their belief in it, their, their trust in it, their, how extreme they believe it is going to increase. And that's what happens in these news things. As Brad was saying, you get these, you get people who think something and maybe that thing is absurd. Maybe it's not. But then they surround themselves only with other people who are going to tell them that thing is right. And what is that going to do? Well, it's going to make them more and more sure and more and more convinced that people who disagree with them are wrong. And more and more, you can see how this this little thing is going to contribute significantly to, we have two sides who have made each other the other. They've made each other the 
They've turned each other into monsters with how they perceive one another. Why, why can't you see this thing that's so obvious to us? And it's partially from this effect of siloing the information. And, and the thing is, is as we talk about these, you know, we talk about these two sides and these biases. When we talk about a bias, we're talking about something that's really natural. It's a natural process and, and bias may not be the best word, but there probably isn't a perfect for, word for what we're trying to describe. We're trying to describe the lens through which you see any particular thing because our brains are, of course, incredible machines that are designed to help our self-interest, right? They're designed to help us survive and thrive. And those brains are designed to be as efficient, as efficient as possible because as human beings, we're really only able to focus on one thing at a time. We're not good multitaskers. I mean, there's lots of people who've talked about this. We're really not. We're not good at multitasking. In fact, most multitasking is really just switching from one task to the other really fast, your focus, mm -hmm. or doing a task without focusing on it. So instead, what the brain does is it recognizes patterns and it classifies things in different categories so that we don't have to focus on yeah. them. When I wake up in the morning and I walk across my, my floor barefoot in the dark, I'm not worried about stepping on anything on, or I'm not worried about falling off a cliff because my brain knows, it's looked at the patterns, it says, okay, this is a carpeted floor, I've kept it clean, and my house is not on the edge of a cliff, and so I'm not going to have to worry about it. When I walk over to the table, I'm not worried about the table falling over because my brain has classified that the table is sturdy, it's secure, I don't have to worry right. about it. And you do this all the time. You do. When you're on the freeway, you're not quaking in fear because at any moment, any of those cars could kill you. Because your brain has said, they're going to stay in their lines, and I'm going to stay in mine, and we're all going to live. Which is not 100% <laughs> true. But we, we, we tell ourselves that because it allows us to drive. Right, it allows us to function. If, if, we were, if we were fully thinking about the implications of what driving on the freeway, the risks that were there, and, and how quickly any one of us could die... We'd have a hard time thinking about anything else while we drove on the freeway. Our commutes would never be listening to a book. It would be beating sweat as we stared at the other cars. <laughs> it would be. As you say that, it's, it's – I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. Like I'm not watching the other cars on the freeway. That's not what I'm doing. If I were, I would be freaking out, right? You've, you've driven with someone who's, who the slightest motion of a car near them wigs them out right they're they're like swerving away from them they're reacting to everything and it's yeah it's not and that's the thing dan is there's actually a real discussion to be had on how much is the appropriate amount of defensive driving how paranoid should you be about those other cars because obviously you should be watching them to some degree but the point is is that our brain compartmentalizes in order to help us and usually it does a pretty good job but quite often it makes mistakes and you can watch a bunch of uh, TV brain teasers and YouTube videos about professionals who use our brain's assumptions to trick us into thinking something stupid or doing something stupid. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what con men do. I mean, that, that's what conning someone means is tricking them by association, by using their brain's compartmentalization 
against someone. Yeah. And it's it's like you have so little attention in life and you want to focus it on the things that matter most. You just can't focus it on everything. It's not it's not possible and it wouldn't be effective. As you said, this is this is a useful function, but it can be gamed. In fact, most people have seen the video where you're told to watch a basketball team pass the ball back and forth and count how many times they pass the ball. And they're passing and they're passing it quickly. And so you're counting, you're counting, you're counting. And about half of the people who watch that video for the first time never even notice that someone in a bear costume walks right behind the basketball players in plain sight. And then stands in the middle of the screen. And then stands in the middle. Yeah, dances. It's, it's not hidden it's like, at all. But because of our focus and our brain's compartmentalization, we ignore it. And and there's so many different aspects in, in our life that, that apply to this, but it applies in more than just focus. It applies in other ways. Tied to that is the fact that we we assume all kinds of things depending on whether or not it will benefit us. We're naturally looking for things that support what we think, want, believe, etc. There was a study where they took a group of people and they asked them about studies regarding pregnant women and coffee, the effects it would have on the baby and on the baby's health, those kind of things. And they, what they wanted to actually see was how much more or less likely pregnant women would be in rejecting or accepting these results. You know, how much would their obvious self-interest on this issue affect their view? And big shock to nobody, the effect was immense. They're much more likely than the others to say there's something wrong with these studies if they drink coffee themselves. So if you're, if you are a coffee drinker, you're pregnant, and you're looking at studies about the negative effects of caffeine on on prenatal health, the odds that you think that those are bad studies goes way up. And that shouldn't be shocking to anyone. Being aware that that's the case is really helpful. Being aware that you are not nearly as objective as you would like to think can be really helpful for you when you're looking at things. And to understand that the people you're listening to are not nearly as objective as they think or sound can be really helpful. And that's not to say that there isn't truth. We're not pushing that line either, that everything's subjective and everyone just has their opinions. On the contrary. But we are saying it's, it is difficult to see objectively when things, when you're looking at something that looks favorable to you. And, and what's interesting about that, Dan, when it comes to self-interest, is that quite often we are more concerned about our image and being right than we are about our actual self-interest. This is something that I, can, that I can attest to. When people talk about self-interest, as a parent, self-interest is very similar to my interest in my child's self-interest. You know what I mean? And so a pregnant woman's primary concern, if you asked her, would probably be the health of her yeah. baby. Yeah. Right? Which is why she would find a problem with the study because she believes that it's okay for her to drink coffee and that it won't hurt her baby. And if you try and tell her that it will hurt her baby, you're trying to tell her that actually she's a bad person. And she doesn't want to be a bad person. She wants to no, be a good person. As you said, she's very concerned about the baby. And yeah. so there has to be something wrong with the study. And so, of course, there's going to be a natural interest. 
another another interesting thing that has to do with this is there's there's also a, an aspect of tribalism that not only do I want to be right, but I want my side to be right. Um, somewhere you see that a lot <laughs> is in sports. Oh, it's it's beautiful. If if you if you are watching a sports game and and the other team fouls your player, you're very often to say, hey, bad call, ref. What the crap? What happened? Expletive, expletive here. You know, this is the worst ref I've ever seen. And yet, for some reason, when your team fouls the other team, you're a lot less interested in making sure that foul is prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Right. You have to be extra careful about those things. If you're, if you're aware that this is how this works, you can then try and mitigate this this problem right you may not be able to completely eliminate your biases but what you can do is you can mitigate them by being aware of them to some degree and saying look i don't like this other team and it would be really beneficial if this foul goes through but i've got to look at this by the same standard and you try and you try and look at it more carefully because your natural tendency is to look at it less carefully you hold the things that benefit you to a lower standard than the things that hurt you you're very critical of the things that are against what you believe that are going to harm you in some way. You're not nearly that critical of the things that you that are going to help you or that are going to help your team. There's another related part to this as we're a two to biases. Um, and this is that you you tend to see what you're looking for. And you can demonstrate this with very innocuous things. For example, there's a study where they uh, they were talking about the color blue and as I think about this, I, I just keep thinking of my wife talking to me about colors. I'm like, uh, that's not tan. That's, I don't even know what the tan equivalents are. Anyway, I'm terrible with colors in terms of, in terms of the various <laughs> shades. I'm so bad. I can't make a proper, I can't tell a proper story about it. <laughs> but they're, so they're talking about blue and you say, if you look at the, you can find a million shades of blue, a million shades of any color, really. And what they did, would do is they would say, is this blue or is this purple? And then they would show them shades that were some that were obviously purple, some that were obviously blue, and then some that were closer to the middle, right? And you'd get some variation. Some people thought things were purple that others thought were blue in the middle ground, right? There's, there's some room there for, for uh, differing opinions. And at the extremes, everyone was, was in agreement. Then they did the same thing showing the same colors, same colors, except they asked a different question. What they asked was, is this blue? Think about that for a moment. See if you can predict what happened. What happened was the colors that had been on the line where some people were saying it's blue and some people were saying it's purple, all became blue. And more and more things that were purple were being called blue because people would think to themselves, could I call this blue? Yes. Yes, I can. Instead of asking themselves, what is the most accurate way to describe this yes. color? Yes. It's a, it's a, it's an entirely different standard. And you can run this study in a variety of other ways where you're showing basically the same thing, which is that people confirm the thing they are looking for at a much higher rate than if they're looking for two things that oppose each other or if they're not looking at all. And this has huge implications in politics. There's a, there's a great analogy I've heard about uh, a knight who goes around slaying dragons. And after all the dragons are dead, he goes around slaying 
weaker monsters. And after all those monsters are gone, eventually what you can find is this guy who's really good at one thing, swinging his sword at flies or nothing at all. Because this is what he does, right? If, if this, this phrase, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? This is, this is true. There's psychological truth to that about the way we operate. In the things that you're looking for, you design a group to solve a problem and that problem solved, guess what? They're going to find more things that look a lot like that problem. Now, they wouldn't have said that's the same thing that they were doing before, but gradually across time, it looks exactly the same to them. They may not even notice that they've switched to something very different and they're calling it the same thing. And so what we want to do is is kind of dissect some of these biases, some of these lenses through which we see the world to help us and to help you recognize them so that we can more effectively understand and counter them even in our own heads so that we allow ourselves to be open to the truth when we hear it. Here's a good example of of that from our own biases that I think most people will, will get a will get a chuckle out of that they can resonate with one way or the other and that is the bias against Apple, <laughs> the company. We hate Apple. I I hate Apple. I and I recognize that it's a bias. It's not fair. It's based on virtually nothing. You know, something with their advertising campaign rubbed me the wrong way. And and I I've always used a PC and it's been fine and I look at the prices of Apple and just who pays for this stuff and and so on. You get the idea. And this is my favorite article on the subject. And it begins like this. I hate Macs. I've always hated Macs. I hate people who use Macs. I even hate people who don't use Macs but sometimes wish they did. Macs are glorified Fisher-Price activity centers for adults. Computers for scaredy cats too nervous to learn how proper computers work. Computers for people who earnestly believe in feng shui. There's just a taste, and it's beautiful, and it speaks to my soul. Every time I read it, I just I just get giddy with excitement. <laughs> now, I recognize that if I actually looked at Macs, or, you know, I don't call them Macs anymore, but if I actually looked at Apple products for two seconds, I'd probably find a lot to like. And am I interested in doing that? Not even slightly. Because I enjoy hating Macs. I enjoy hating Apple. And it's out of my price range anyway. <laughs> But the point is, clearly, if I enjoy this, I have a problem and I have a bias, right? This is, this is, this is obvious. And, and as someone who also, also hates Apple, but who also spends a fair degree of time studying Apple's products, unlike Dan, I can tell you that there are advantages to Apple and there are also significant disadvantages. And the more I, the more I hate Apple, the harder it is to clearly differentiate between the two and the easier it is to just see the things to hate about Apple, you know, because, because no product is perfect and no product is a hundred percent awful. You know, there's always going to be some middle ground and obviously there has to be some redeeming quality for Apple for millions of people to use it. When I find it, I'll let you yeah, know. Yeah, I was going to say, my mind um, believes you, my heart does not. <laughs> but but you see what I'm saying, where it's just, it's so easy for me to just hate it because I've I've made the decision in my mind that Apple is bad. And the easiest thing for me to do is to leave it there. 
because as soon as I start to, to backtrack that, and this is not just true in, in, in this podcast episode, but when I talk to people about phones, when I talk to people about computers, it's hard to backtrack because as soon as I do, I start to immediately lose face because I've taken a stance that if Apple, the Apple's bad, if I went turned around and bought an Apple smartphone to replace my new phone, do you know how much crap I would take from people? <laughs> I, I wouldn't hear the end of it. For You're invested now. From yeah. both Apple haters and Apple lovers, no one would be on my side. Everyone would be out to get me. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. At this point, sometimes I feel like I don't have a choice anymore. That I am stuck in this camp, and this is just where I have to live. If Apple comes out with the best smartphone you've ever seen, that is hands down the, my only real option, I will still get an Android because it is easier to get an Android than to deal with that abuse. <laughs> and and that's something as simple as as my phone choice. But that's the world that we live in. <laughs> no, and it's so sad. But but in it. And obviously politics is much worse because there's so much more at stake. People's entire, their entire childhood, uh, their relationships are often at stake in, in very real ways, especially as we've mentioned with increasing polarization. It, it, the stakes get higher. The cost of switching and being, and being ob as objective as humans can be about something is getting higher and higher. And that's the point. So we're going to get into some political biases now warmed you up with our 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 heartwarming hatred for apple and now that you're nice and warm we're going to talk about something else <laughs> you may or may not have noticed this is probably the clearest bias in politics these days some people love donald trump some people hate donald trump and i've heard very reasonable people otherwise reasonable people who <laughs> discussing donald trump begin to sound crazy from both sides i on, on both, both sides, sides I've, yes. I've heard somebody on the on the left that i really respect who i who i think is is extremely brilliant and and persuasive and very objective about the way he describes things and that's why that's why i listen to him. and then he starts talking about donald trump and he's gone he sounds like me talking about apple there's there's nothing there's nothing there for you <laughs> unless you enjoy hearing someone rant about Unless you hate Apple as much as I do, there's nothing there for you, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no substance to what he says. And it's, and it's kind of, I mean, it's sad, but it's also the way people work. And he, he does that extremely rarely. So it's weird when he, he talks about Donald Trump because you can totally hear that he's shifted into another gear and he's not thinking in the same way. Likewise with Republicans. I know some Republicans uh, who have principles that they, that I think are against what Donald Trump does and stands for not not just character-wise but even his policies and things and yet you listen to them talk about donald trump and and you would think that they're what's the and you would think they were discussing him like conservatives who really respect the constitution discuss the constitution almost almost wholly mm -hmm. in their reverence for him both of these are going to tell you things, right? If you can hear this in the person you're listening to or the article you're reading, you can 
you know something, right? You know where you can trust their opinions and where you should be skeptical. The things that they say that you can set aside and be like, well, maybe that's true. I'm gonna have to look into it. And the other things that might be more reliable information from them. And the signs for this are pretty straightforward. You, you hear someone talking about the swamp. They probably really like Donald Trump, even if they're not being blatant about it, right? Yeah. Someone talking about, I guess the swamp has caught on a little more broadly now. It is now a more common way to refer to it, but still, it tends to indicate a a preference for Trump. Um, when they talk about making America great, obviously that's a that's a huge giveaway uh, because people on the other side have have made it such that if they said that, they would be outcasts among their friends, right? So no liberal reporter is going to accidentally talk about uh, how he wants to make America great again. Um, he'd be castigated into oblivion. Um, Things that are destroying the heart of America uh, or destroying the American tradition, traditional American values. These are all signs of, of that often are associated with a love for Donald Trump. And the hate signs are equally transparent. You get discussions about like the character of politicians. People who hate Trump will really focus on his character and on honesty and, and the role of empathy in politics. They'll talk about Russia and Russia's influence. And these are these are things that hopefully after four years. You are not so numb to that you can't see that it often suggests certain biases that you should be aware of so that you can find good information. But the most important thing when you're when you're thinking about this bias is understanding how it affects the usefulness of your sources in gaining you good information. You know, if you go back and look about things that have been written about Donald Trump, the more extremely they feel about Donald Trump one way or another, the less useful that information is going to be. So the Washington Post, early on in, in Trump's presidency, had an article about the first 100 days and all of the false and misleading claims that Trump has made in those 100 days. And they cataloged 492 false or misleading claims, which is crazy if you think about it's, it, because they're, they're saying that... He was making an average uh, – he was lying to the American people five times a day is, is, is what they were arguing. And, and you go through and you read these claims and some of them – some of them are legitimate because like almost all politicians, Trump says a lot of things <laughs> and, and not all of those things are going to be right. But what's interesting is, is you read the specific things – and you can tell and you can tell immediately when you read these that their goal here was not to find the truth their goal here was to find anything trump said that could be used against him for example here's one of the the misleading claims here's the quote after years of federal contracts going to foreign bidders we are ensuring that government agencies enforce buy american rules and give preference to american companies and that american companies hire american workers so this is a pretty generic statement saying that the government is moving towards buying American, one of his campaign promises, right? Now let me read what the Washington Post said about it. Trump now calls for Americans to, quote, buy American, hire American. But this is misleading. Trump has a long history of outsourcing a variety of his own products. The fact checker has counted a total of 12 countries where Trump products were manufactured. And then it lists the 12 countries. And what's so amazing here is at no point do they fact check the statement. <laughs> because what I'm wondering is, has Donald Trump actually, actually instituted policies 
that make that encourage companies to buy American and hire like American? Like he said he would. Or has yeah. he not? Because <laughs> that's what he said. He said he would do it. Did he do it? And instead, they're focusing on the fact that really Trump is a sucky politician <laughs> because his own companies in the past didn't hire American, which has nothing to do with whether or not that statement was accurate or not. They didn't even bother to fact check it. I want to know. I, and there's no, there's no fact checking to be Despite found here. Despite the label for fact checking. And you checking. can go on and on in those 492 because as someone who wants to know the truth, and when I read that quote, I was legitimately curious. Did Trump do what he said he was going to do? And you would think that they would tell me that, <laughs> but they weren't interested in that. They were interested in bashing Trump. It's unfortunate because, I mean, if you want to make the case that that Trump is, uh, you know, a lot of people claim things like he's the he's the biggest liar of all time. This is not how you demonstrate that case. You do not nitpick 492 things where you twist things. You don't have to do that. That's a bad idea. No, pick the 10 blatant yes. lies and just talk about them. But the problem is is that that article is just like the anti-Mac article. It is written for an audience who's already yeah, decided. Yeah. It is absolutely like that Apple article. It's this is this is a bias and it's being it's being found. It's being gratified. So uh and on the flip side you'll have people who who are blind to the fact that Trump is seems at times to not care less that, that he could care less about whether what he's saying has any factual basis. And as you said this this kind of at either extreme, you're going to get a lot of bad information. You're going to get a lot of really terrible analysis where people try and justify things that can't be justified or they try and demonstrate that, that something is wrong when there's nothing wrong. They try, and, they try and show what you just said there, where they're fact-checking things that have nothing to do with what he said. They're, they're unrelated to the claim and they're unrelated to whether or not he actually said that or whether or not the government's going to do that. And and if you were going to you want a good opinion about Trump, don't listen to either of those groups. Don't listen to either of those groups. So so some other biases that are out there that are there are a whole list of biases that are a lot less obvious than the anti-Trump or pro-Trump bias that actually have a significant influence on how how people talk about things and the information that you're going to get. You know, a big category is social justice. And and so people who see see the world through the lens of social justice, for example, racism. If you see the world through the lens of everything is about racism, then obviously it's going to affect how you talk about things. You know, there have been several people who have talked about the Capitol riots and and their main takeaway from the riots is that the fact that they were able to make it into the Capitol building itself is because of white privilege. And because of the fact that the police were in force during the, the protests in Portland and other places, and they appeared not to be in force there. Now, once again, the problem here is that you're, you're not getting the pertinent information. What you're getting is actually not any information at all, but is instead an opinion about why what happened happened instead of being about what happened. You know, there are a lot of questions that you can ask about the police response 
to the Capitol and why it happened. But if you've already decided why it happened, there's no reason for you to look. And that's where you get into a problem is that we need information about the Capitol's response, the police system, and understand what happened, not assuming what happened and then just going from there. Right, right. And to tie everything to race, race is too narrow a lens to to interpret the world by it. But people who are who are constantly looking for racism is is with as just like the people in the study who were looking for blue, they're going to see a lot more racism than is even there as racism as as racism is reduced overall, they're still going to be finding racism. It's there they have the same they have the same problem as the people looking for blue, right? They're going to start finding more and more things. And if you try and always focus on that lens and try and interpret the world that way, that's when you end up making really absurd claims like the 1619 Project. I don't know if most of you are familiar with that. If you're not, you probably don't need to be at this point because, well, maybe you do. I know some schools are implementing teaching those things, but at the same time, uh, I know the group who started it um, is backing off because they were castigated by scholars from both sides of the aisle who were like, this is not how history works. Um, It's the same group who says that the police are a fundamentally racist institution and that the only answer then is to dismantle the police because at one point in history the police were doing were serving racist ends it's just to put everything through this lens is just not effective and another one you can do is feminism where you'll get people who when they're looking for it when they're looking for signs of sexism, sexism they start to see it in thing in simple phrases like you look great it was just a joke, calm down, etc. Go go look up sexist things people say, and you're guaranteed to find an article that has a few things that might be sexist and several things that you would have to really stretch or it'd have to be very particular context for it to be sexist. But people looking constantly for sexism, asking, is the thing the person just said to me sexist? We'll find far more sexism. There are many different groups in the social justice category. You know, you've got as they you know, racism, sexism. LGBTQ and and other groups, yes, and 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 the important the important point that we're trying to make here is is not that sexism, racism, any kind of ism doesn't exist. The point is that the world is a very large one, and there there are many reasons and many causes for any individual action to occur. And if you're only looking for one of those causes, then you're going to be missing yeah. things and you're going to be overlooking things, which is going to make finding out the, the, the facts and all the facts more and more. Yeah, the worst example of this is Ibram Kendi talking about how, and we, we talked about this at length in our, our episode on racism, where he said the, the only reason that blacks is an aggregate in any particular location compared to whites as an aggregate would have any any disparate outcomes must be racism. When that's that's demonstrably false. It could be the, the location they're in. It could be the uh, the particular schools. It could be yeah. There's, 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 there's thousands, thousands of, of factors, factors that go into what creates these outcomes. So only looking right. at one creates right. a problem. You're going to have a. You're going to misread it. And to see, yeah, to see people who are applying that and are not looking at the bigger picture, but are just looking at this one factor, you want to know if you're reading an article by someone like that, because they're going to be missing a lot of what's actually happening on the ground. 
So another view that a lot of people are probably familiar with is is the constitutionalist. Is is the idea? There's actually two parts to this, and if you want, you could separate them. But we're going to talk about them together. It's the idea of American exceptionalism, that that the American founding was a transcendent event that changed the world forever and was a hundred percent good. Everything about the founding fathers was good. Everything about the Constitution is good, and the Constitution itself is not just good, but it's good in an absolute sense in many ways it's it's a bible for government like the bible is the bible for for religion it is it is incontrovertible if something is unconstitutional it doesn't just mean it's illegal in the united states it means it's immoral that's what a constitutionalist believes that the constitution the constitution is right so if it's unconstitutional it's not right. Yeah, that is the claim they're making when they say it's unconstitutional. If you're like, what? Do, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So what? You are missing the point of what they're of what they're implying with that phrase. And so, and this is important because this, this of course, starts to highlight how people start to to talk over each other as they have these discussions because they don't realize always what goes into these biases. If you have someone who believes that everything's root cause is racism, talking to someone who believes that if it's unconstitutional, then it's immoral, and they're trying to talk about an issue like the storming of the Capitol, it's not only that they're going to have different ideas, they're not even going to be talking about the same thing on a fundamental level. Yeah, these two groups... If they are unaware of their biases, if and if they're at the extremes of these, they're not going to be able to communicate with one another. At best, they can hope to shout the other person down. And of course, as I said, the, the other part to that constitutionalist is the American exceptionalism, which is where you get some of the strongest patriotism ideas that America itself is good as a, a as a country, not just as a people, but as a country. America is inherently good. And of course, once again, you're obviously going to run into some issues when you're trying to find the truth. Because if you believe that America is always good, then you're never going to notice when America does something wrong, which means you can't correct it. If you don't see that it's wrong, yeah. how would you ever do anything yeah, and about it? And for this group, it's often America is always good, but the left is evil, right? So, so they distinguish that. Like America's never made a mistake, but the left has. Even yeah. though the, even they, through they, the offices, they have to of, disassociate yeah, in a strange, weird way. It's strange. Environmentalism is a surprising one. I'm, I'm putting it on here. People don't realize the the scope of environmentalism. There are articles that will discuss what you can and can't do in your life based on an environmentalist ethic. For some people, this saving the environment is is replacing religion and their moral ethical code. So they'll talk about like how many children you should eat. You should eat. <laughs> oh my goodness um i i i just think that we as a podcast should make t-shirts saying don't listen to environmentalists they'll try and tell you how many children you should eat and we believe that is a choice that everyone should make on their own <sighs> okay. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. I, I'm, I'm going to try and focus up after that one, but I, I was dying for a minute. 
I uh, yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at children and I'm looking at meat and somehow uh, having children eat is is terrible. So they talk about things like whether or not you should be able to have children, whether or not you should be able to eat meat, what the moral ramifications are of driving a car or or riding in a plane, those kind of things. And I'm surprised there are some people who see the world almost exclusively through this lens, and you wouldn't think it's broad enough for that, but there's an evolving ethic, complete ethic for life and what you, how you should live your life based on environmentalism. So another another lens through which people see the world, another bias is a uh, is anti-capitalism. And of course there are several groups that fall under this. You know, you've got socialism, communism, but there's also a modern a modern group of people who are anti-capitalist but wouldn't actually believe in anything as extreme as socialism or communism. They'd rather believe that government needs to intervene in some other way to prevent capitalism from destroying us because the the fundamental belief in, in anti-capitalism is that capitalism is a great evil that will always result in a few holding all the capital and using that capital to oppress the many who become poor. And that capitalism will always increase that divide. Yeah. And and that's only through government intervention that 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 people can be protected. Communism is it's, it's, is pretty specific. The one I'm just going to say one phrase that'll give away someone who's leaning toward communism. They see everything through the lens of class conflict. They talk about the rich and the poor. I mean, there's a lot of people that are talking about inequality. That's that's an kind of generally that's associated with this anti-capitalist lens. Um, they think that capitalism at best needs to be checked. Communism goes much further. They think there's an inherent conflict between the rich and the poor that can only be resolved by the elimination of the rich. And that's that's that is a step further than most anti-capitalists go. For those who haven't heard, "Eat the Rich" is a is a strongly rooted in communist ideas. Yeah, and both of these lenses, you've got to understand that they're they're based in part on economic assumptions, and most of the articles on these subjects are not talking about those assumptions. And so, if you're reading these, I would I would consider whether or not you agree with the assumptions, because if you don't you're going to be surprised how much is based on ideas about economics and things that, that you probably wouldn't believe. But, but it's so fundamental to the worldview of the people who are writing uh, about things like inequality often that they don't realize how much how shaky the ground is that they're actually on because they never consider the premises. They have a... The next bias we want to touch on is, is the bias of conspiracy theory. And this one is, of course, very simple and one that everyone is familiar with, is the idea that, at least in government, behind almost everything that you see on the surface, there is an underlying conspiracy that is always working against the people. For everything, you know, whether it's storming the Capitol or Donald Trump's election in 2020 or Donald Trump's election in, in 2016 or Obamacare or anything else, what happened on the surface is not what actually happened. In backdoor rooms, there were secret conspiracies, secret organizations that caused these things to happen. And nothing that's actually happening on the surface really matters. And the thing about this belief that's so crippling is that if nothing on the surface matters, if 
the legislature meeting if these people that we are electing to office aren't really even being elected, and once they get there, don't actually have any influence or control on what's actually happening, then there's no reason for anyone to ever get involved in these things that are happening, except to say that they're false, that they're not really happening. And it's, it's incredibly crippling because it encourages people to not get involved in politics. It encourages people to not believe anything they read or hear except from a few trusted sources. And the end result is that just like in Inception or The Matrix, you don't believe yeah. anything. And, and let me tell you, that is crippling. That is a crippling belief, and it will result in not only you not having the right information, but often it will result in you not having any good information. <laughs> right, and, and I hate the label of conspiracy theorist because there are conspiracies. If you think there aren't people behind closed doors who conspire and who do things that are extraordinarily bad and cleverly manipulate the story to make it happen, you're the crazy one. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. The history of the world is full of conspiracies that after the fact right, were found you out. Actually, you know, we have mm -hmm. documentation of many conspiracies throughout time. Yeah. Because people people want power, people are willing to do things for power, and often those things are done in secret. Right. Right. And and none of that should be surprising. And believe <laughs> Yeah, and 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 there's nothing and there's nothing wrong with believing that. The problem is, is that it's a slippery slope. Yeah, that usually ends in you believing that everything is a conspiracy, and that's where it becomes so debilitating. Right, someone who believes one conspiracy is more likely to believe another, and there's good reason for that. Right, once once you've accepted that this is possible and that this can happen, it 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 can shake you, and then you start to see things that aren't there. And so, uh, I, I mean, I think, frankly, the healthy spot is to believe in conspiracy theories are a thing and to try and very carefully find them, but not to make leaps unless you can demonstrate it. But that's a very hard line, which is why, which is why you need a, which is why this, we're not talking about those people in the middle who are able to be like, yes, there are some, but I'm not distrusting everything completely. We're talking about the people who have fell down that slippery slope. And those people are pretty easy because, to identify. Very hard to engage because with. Because the whole... Because the, the whole reason we're talking about these biases is because we have to check our bias. You know, it's something that people talk about in the 21st century all the time now when they talk about, you know, you know, checking your privilege. And that's not what we mean at all. What we're talking about is understanding where our biases come from. Because as Dan said, as someone who believes that there are conspiracies, because of course not believing in that would be denying yourself from a whole lot of truth as well, you have to be able to to realize this is what I believe and this is where it's going to lead me yeah. to and I need to make sure I only go where the truth <laughs> leads me. <laughs> don't jump to conclusions. Don't don't believe every conspiracy you hear because I, I mean it's, I'm not saying this well, but but conspiracy theorists believe that everyone is a sheep because they don't know all these conspiracies. But ironically, if you believe every conspiracy theory you've become just a different kind right. of sheep. You're not you're not thinking for yourself at right. all. Right, you can't engage with the world. In anymore. order to think for yourself, you have to take things at face you have to take information that you bring in and screen it, including from those sources that you 
believe are right, those conspiracy theorists sources. Right, which is why those those people tend to hunker down or no, those people tend to those people tend to hunker down and uh, and disengage from politics, which is unfortunate. Um I, as you were talking, I thought of this comedian. I wish I could remember his name, but he said the funniest thing about it. He was talking about Jeffrey Epstein. I, he's like, I've never believed in anything that could be called a conspiracy theory. But now they're telling me that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. And I'm like, did we even walk on the moon? Did we go to the moon? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> every time I think about conspiracy theories, I think about this guy. Cause that's, that's actually what tends to happen. Like you get one thing where that's you're a like, normal process yeah, that people, yeah, go you through. get one thing where you're like, that's clearly a lie. This is a conspiracy and you know it. And then you start to be like, oh, maybe everything's a conspiracy. And it's just not. It's just not. People cannot coordinate to the degree and the scope that, that often people think they can. It's people are not. The people at the top are not as smart as people imagine them to be. They're ordinary people. And to coordinate a huge conspiracy is ridiculously hard. Then you've got the, uh, did you want to, you want to do this one? The freedom bias is going to be one of the hardest ones that we diagnose here because this is it's going to be a self <laughs> this is going to be a self diagnosis, right? Often people with a bias towards freedom are are something kind of anti-authoritarian in some sense. Often people on the left and on the right have this bias. They just exercise it in different spheres, right? They they want they want personal liberty in in some sphere and they're it often ties into something else. Maybe it ties into their race bias or it ties into their constitutional bias or something else. But they're, uh, they're anti-utilitarian a lot of the time. They're, they're pushing against concepts of the common good and they're very focused on, on individual choices. Maybe it's individualism itself. Maybe it's maybe it's posed I was about a different to say, way. Individualism and anti-authoritarian are very very similar. Yeah, and are really kind of two two siblings in the same right. family. On the left, it sounds different. They're often talking about choices, right? They're talking about lifestyle choices and things like that. But uh, and so it's not they they use a different vocabulary. So it can be hard to identify on the left if what you're looking for is the the normal one you hear on the right. Um, libertarians are they're the category where you're going to find a lot of this. You'll also find a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, libertarians tend to reduce everything to a few basic principles and then apply those widely. And, and they may or may not have done further homework and understand the other pieces at play. So when you're reading a libertarian, there are going to be a few areas. Libertarians are interesting because they're often experts in, in a few things that other people are not. They, they tend to read things that other people don't. And then in other things, they're not going to touch them at all. The reliability is going to be mixed depending on which topic. Yeah. Often the thing that you want to watch out for is the oversimplification. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you've noticed even in our podcast, there have been times that we've oversimplified ideas in order to help illustrate the principle. Yes. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we do that, we are we are ignoring certain things mm -hmm. or, or pushing certain things to another episode to talk about later. And... And that's that's something that you have to that you have to grapple yeah, with because we hope you see that. And, and here's yeah, because 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 I think we've been pretty upfront about it that we try to we, be like least. everyone else have something to focus on. And we are trying to be as practical as we can, as realistic as possible as we talk about these principles. But it's still obvious that our primary focus is on those principles. And so that's going to affect the information that we focus on yeah. and the information that we give you. Yeah. And that's just going to be a natural result of that focus. Yeah. I hope as you listen to us, you, you do start to catch on to what our biases are, see see things where we maybe miss something or oversimplify because we're not 
we're not paying attention to the things you are because of our biases. And, and you booknote those. You say, this is something that I need to look elsewhere for or that I need to get a second opinion on as well. There are lots of kinds of elitists. There's a conservative type of elitist who, the basic idea of elitism is, is a belief in the ignorance or stupidity of those who aren't X. They haven't hit a certain threshold. They haven't got, uh, they haven't been college educated, right? You get people on the left who are like, and what is your degree in this? Um, on the right, they'll be like, yeah, do you even have a job? Yeah, you don't have any real life <laughs> right, experience. What is your real life? What have, have you done? Have you even seen what the how the economy actually works? Yeah. Um, uh, another one is uh, elitists tend to have a, a like a hero complex in the sense that they're looking for the guy who can really do the job. You know, the the expert businessman is going to save us in economically. The uh, the brilliant, uh, you know, the studied scientist is the one that we should listen to, and they're going to have all the right answers here. They elitism tends to look to authority, which is of course the obvious drawback there. Mm -hmm. It is, it is, and you've got to you've got to consider whether how reliable are the credentials really in this sphere. When a scientist is talking about politics or when a businessman is talking about economic theory, like, are these things actually connected? In most cases, they're not. And even if they are connected, it doesn't always right, mean that right. person has the right idea. Right, and you shouldn't necessarily defer to them just because even if they are a legitimate, uh, have legitimate skill and expertise in something. The last bias we want to talk about is the bias of the oppressed. And, and this one is a little bit more subtle. And... It's the belief that everyone else is out to get you or your group. And the thing is, is that at any given time, at least 50% of most groups fall into this category. And often there are situations, at least politically, where every group falls into this category, where every group feels like they are the ones who are being oppressed. You know, we talked before about those who see the world through through the lens of of racism. You know, there's a group that that obviously has been oppressed. You know, you've got minorities who have actually been oppressed, and so it's natural for them to see the world through that lens. But there, there, but almost every group can feel like that. You know, when the Republicans are the minority in politics, they are the oppressed. When the Democrats are the minority, they are the oppressed. And when you're the oppressed, everyone is an enemy. And you have this, this war mentality, this survival mentality, because, you know, I mean, war of survival, survival and war are really the same mentality because it's, you got to do whatever it takes to defeat the enemy because because you are the one who's getting the boot stomped on them and and of course there's going to be some natural drawbacks to seeing the world through this lens one of the drawbacks of this view is that it cements and reinforces tribalism it's easier to understand how well the other team played when the other team lost but when the other team won, you focus on how they cheated you and how it was unfair, et cetera, et cetera. It's always easier to be, you know, a good sport when you won than when you <laughs> lost. And that's what happens with the oppressed. When you're the loser, your natural inclination is always to, to call foul. It's always to see every flaw that the other side does and to refuse to see the good in the enemy, which is part of what has added to the fuel 
what has added fuel to this fire between the Democrats and the Republicans is that they both feel like the oppressed. And so they both feel like they cannot give up a single scrap to the other side. They cannot compromise on Can't anything. give them credit for anything. Because, yeah. because they're both losing. And as long as we're losing, we have to fight. And it just always results in them butting heads, not just in elections, but in how they talk about each other. Yeah, and when you see someone in, in life, uh, you can read about some amazing historical figures who were actually oppressed and who do not sound or feel like it. <laughs> right? they, they, they are going somewhere. And that's not what Republicans or Democrats sound like most of the time. They sound like the team that just lost who blames the ref, who's, who's upset about the foul calls and the and the cheating and the, all those other things it's and anyone who's played sports can tell you that's not how you win no it's not it's not it's not a good mentality and as you said it cements the tribalism in it it leads you to preach to the choir one of the disturbing things about politics is how infrequently somebody from the left or the right addresses someone on the other side and tries to persuade them in a reasonable way almost yeah. all of your all of the arguments are preaching to the choir Almost all of them are preaching to their own people who already agree with them. It's, I have a bias, you have a bias, let's talk about that bias. And it's partially come, it partially comes from the fact that they feel oppressed. They feel like they, they feel like soldiers in the foxhole sharing what they have in common. And Dan, you make a great point there talking about what doesn't happen because the reason we're talking about all of this is not because we want you to get rid of your biases, because that's simply not possible. Everyone has biases. That's why we talked about it as being a natural part of human life, is to have biases, is to have lenses through which we see the world, because that's the only way we can function. But it doesn't mean that you can't work to, first of all, check and make sure your lens is worth anything. Yeah. Because it could be that your lens is only making things worse for you. Yeah. And that it's time to discard it and pick up a new one. But if your lens is worthwhile, because some of them are, and if your lens is worthwhile, then take a look at that lens and make sure it's working the way you want it to. Because just because you have it doesn't mean you can't tweak it. You know, as we talked about before, when we're making this podcast, we try hard to check ourselves, to, to think about what the other side would say, how they feel about it, and actually legitimately answer those concerns. Understanding your bias doesn't weaken you in any way. In fact, it strengthens you because it allows you to see the truth. It allows you to see the world more clearly. And that's what this episode is all about. It's not about abandoning what you believe. It's about using what you believe and to help you find the truth. Max Weber, a uh, sociologist, uh, wrote something brilliant about education where he said, um, he suggested that the purpose of education should be to get you to a point where you can look at things that are counterpoints to what you believe and give those points their credit. Maybe not change your beliefs even, but see things that go against what you believe and recognize that they actually provide some evidence against your beliefs, right? That this is, this is a legitimate counterpoint. And now you may have reasons for rejecting it as for the whole case, but... I think there's something to that, that concept of education. In addition to recognizing your biases and trying to mitigate them as well as you can by being aware of them and by 
by reading things yourself from people and, who oppose And not you. even mitigating the biases, but mitigating the negative effects of those biases. Because you have to be looking at something. You have to be focused on something. In addition to that, we, want, we wanted to mention ways that you can find reliable sources. You want people who can do the things that we're saying you should be able to do with yourself. You want someone who can critique both the Republicans and Democrats at a bare minimum. A liberal who cannot say what the liberals are doing wrong and what and where he disagrees with their policies and what he thinks the Democratic Party is doing wrong is not worth listening to. A Republican who can't say that the Republicans are doing this and this wrong or that they need to correct this and this is where I disagree with them is not worth listening to. They're playing for a team. They're playing for a team. They're not, they're not trying to give you good information. Another, another thing is that these people, these sources are often pretty upfront with their biases. A good source, you can see their bias and you can account for it. People who are trying to con convince you that they're perfectly objective and that the other people are all crazy, again, not worth listening not to. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. These people are selling you something. Many of the best sources are clearly liberal or clearly conservative, and it doesn't mean that they don't have good information. Yes. Yes, you can, you can have someone who's strongly one or the other and who still has good information. Another way to find a reliable source is you want someone who can talk to people they disagree with. And I mean talk. I don't mean, I don't mean invite them on to their show and yell at them for two minutes and then be angry for a while. <laughs> yeah, those, I mean, it's, frankly, it's embarrassing. That's, it's embarrassing. that's not talking. It's not talking. You want someone who can carry on a conversation with someone they disagree about with and see good things in what they disagree with. One of the beautiful things about going through all these these biases and lenses that we were discussing before is that I, I honestly think there's something valuable in every single one of them. Every single one of the things that we were talking about earlier has something worth seeing, something worth focusing on. And people who are aware of their biases, people who are trying to find truth, can look for it even in places they don't necessarily like, among people they don't necessarily care about. Or people they don't, with people they don't necessarily agree with. Absolutely. And so when we talk about finding good information, you know, it's really, there's really a couple of things you can do. You know, the first thing, as Dan said, is you can, is you can work to find reliable sources. And then the other thing you can do is even as you find more reliable sources, is you can work to make sure that your biases are not stopping you from absorbing truth because so often that's what's happening is that as as we're in this age of oversaturation of information is we're choosing what to absorb we're choosing what to accept and you have to check your bias because if you're not looking at how you see the world then you're going to naturally self-filter out a lot of the truth and that's only going to hurt you in the long right. run and that in order to better defend and fight for the causes that you believe in, you have to have the truth. You have to have the facts. And so you have to take a look at those biases and see where those blind spots are and then make an effort to fill those. Yeah. And some of the best ways you can do that is to find a reliable source who disagrees with you and find people who disagree with you that you can have real conversations with who are willing to actually talk who are willing to actually talk to you as a person 
and disagree with you in a reasonable way so that you guys can come to better understandings, not just of each other, but of what you yourself believe. Yeah. I can attest to that, that it's only through talking to people, intelligent people I disagreed with, am I better able to understand what I believe. Yeah. There's real value. Yeah, it's a crazy thing. You actually, you will know by listening to people who agree with you on everything, you will end up knowing less about it than you would if you listen to people who opposed it. You need the counter arguments. You need the, you need to see where what you believe is weak and where it is strong. And you can only do that in the fray. You can only do that um, as you're discussing with other people who believe differently. So find sources that disagree with you. Find sources of, of various kinds. And by doing so, it will help you to, to find the truth, to find the facts, to, to get the information that you need and to move forward, to be able to affect the change you'd like to affect, even just to know what's going on. Because, because so often that's the struggle in today's age is even just to know what the heck is going on. <laughs> is 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 incredibly valuable and and we believe that that these ideas can can help you with that if you disagree or if you have any questions or anything you'd like to disagree with us about please feel free to 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 hit us up because we'd be happy to respond and then we'll talk about how stupid you are and how you didn't have anything to contribute like apple (laughs) just kidding (laughs) Um, yeah well it's it's this is a, a really cool time in terms of technology where in order to learn about a worldview, I don't have to read the encyclopedia article about it from my library, right? I don't have to, I don't have to hear about communism from uh, my encyclopedia. I can actually find an honest communist <laughs> right? and, and actually push against them and see why they think what they think. And, and that is going to Absolutely, be far yeah. better than even, a, even the most nuanced uh, article from someone you agree with explaining why someone they disagree with is wrong right get it from someone and a lot more fun and with that thank you for listening this has been episode 26 of rethinking politics you can listen to us at almost every major podcast app you can also find us on facebook twitter instagram You can check out our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com. You can email us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com with any questions or concerns that you might have. And if not, we will see you all next week. Thank you for listening.